This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time or you don't pay. Terms and conditions may apply. Independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. Hi, I'm Renee Summer, our digital news anchor here at 7 at 7. Watch our streaming nonstop newscast immediately with your mobile phone. 7 at 7 is the new way for you to get every bit of local news you need in just seven minutes. Breaking news, local neighborhood news, weather, and sports are just a click away. Reporters bring you all of what's happening in the Valley. From Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, YouTube, and more. Get every bit of local news you need from the RJ and LVRJ.com. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about playoff hockey and specifically. Game 7s because we have one on deck for Friday night at T-Mobile Arena. I have Ben Goats, one of your review journal Golden Knights beat writers, joining me on the other line from lovely, and I cannot emphasize this enough, lovely St. Paul, Minnesota in May is my colleague, Dave Shane. Dave, how's it hanging up there? Bloomington. Not St. Paul, Bloomington. We're in Bloomington. Of all people, you should know this, Ben. Come on. <laughs> well, you were in St. Paul. You were in St. Paul earlier tonight when the Golden Knights and the Minnesota Wild played game six of their first round series. We will get to how that played out for those two teams. And, of course, we will preview uh, the game that is coming up next that I already kind of spoiled, uh, which is the fact that these two teams are going to a game seven on this episode of our podcast. Before we do all that, I want to remind everyone that we are sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. We are also presented by Blue Wire Podcasts. Um, also, if you guys could check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com, that would be great. Dave's got great stuff coming out of uh, St. Paul slash Bloomington today. <laughs> so does uh, our colleague Ed Greeny. Um, Adam Hill has been doing a good job covering the Minnesota side of this series. Boris and I, of course, will have a piece up in the morning as well, previewing the road ahead for these two teams. Uh, and of course, there is a road ahead because the Minnesota Wild just defeated the Knights 3-0 at home in Game 6 to even this series at three games apiece. Like I said, we got a Game 7 on deck. It'll be at 6 p.m. Friday at T-Mobile Arena. It'll be the first Game 7 in T-Mobile Arena history. Uh, as people, I'm sure, know by now, the Knights were up 3-1 in this series. They lost Game 5 at home, despite the fact that they outshot Minnesota 40-14, to and they fell again tonight. 
I'm sure a lot of fans know this history, but this is the third straight year. The Knights will go into a Game 7 after being up 3-1 in a series. They lost to the San Jose Sharks in Year 2 in, of course, uh, somewhat infamous and controversial fashion. And they beat the Vancouver Canucks in Game 7 in the second round last year. Uh, we should also mention before we get going tonight that the Knights were without uh, Max Pacioretty, who hasn't played all series because of a, an undisclosed injury. Uh, the injured Tomas Nosek was not out there. Braden McNabb was not out there because he was placed in the NHL's COVID-19 protocols today. And Ryan Reeves also did not play tonight for the Golden Knights. Uh, Coach Pete DeBoer said Reeves was not a healthy scratch, but didn't elaborate further. We are expected to get Further updates on him uh, tomorrow. We're recording this uh, very late Wednesday night uh, Pacific time. It's already Thursday in Dave's neck of the woods up there. But uh, that's kind of the broad recap of how we've gotten into this position where we are going to a game seven. Dave, uh, from your vantage point, you were there tonight at the game. How surprised are you? that thing that this series is going all the way. Well, considering I was stupid enough to pick the Knights in five and was feeling pretty good about that going home, uh, that I might nail the prediction. Yeah, I guess a little bit, but I don't think anybody else really is. I think uh, Pete DeBoer said it, you know, after the game tonight, there were probably a lot of bets uh, me, going into the series that it was going to be a six or a seven game series. I think uh, a couple of people are talking to today, uh, at the morning skate from the wild side, I think even they felt like, you know, it's two pretty evenly matched teams and it would probably drag out into a, a seventh game as well. So probably not like a huge surprise in the sense that, you know, they were close during the regular season in terms of record and numbers and all those sorts of things. Minnesota obviously, you know, plays well against uh, the Golden Knights. That's well documented on, you know, this podcast and other things that we've written. So. Yeah, probably not the biggest surprise. I think maybe the surprise is that they were up 3-1 and seemingly in control of the series. And once again, haven't been able to show that killer instinct or whatever it takes to put a team away. Yeah, that's something the Knights have obviously struggled with in their history. Um, yeah, like we talked about, three straight years, the Knights have basically lost a 3-1 to lead in the series. Now, last year against Vancouver, it didn't matter uh, for those interested in history, uh, 29 teams in the NHL history have lost after being up 3-1 in the series. The Knights were the last ones to do it against the Sharks in 2019. Uh, the Minnesota Wild have rallied from a 3-1 deficit twice in their history. They are also 3-0 or 3-0 in Game 7s in their history. All those wins have come on the road. In terms of the Knights, Dave, and losing the series lead, is there anything that you think, uh, you know, to that? Or are these just hard-fought series against, you know, good opponents, as you just kind of got done saying? The Wild are certainly a good match for the Knights, and uh, even more so when the Knights are without all the players that they are without. Um, so is that, you know, the explanation? Or is there something else to the fact that the Knights, um, you know, aren't able to close these things out sooner than maybe they should. I mean, I think only they can answer that question. And I don't think they're going to answer that question to be quite honest. I mean, whether these situations and, you know, sort of the psychological effect of having gone through, you know, the San Jose series and blowing it nearly blowing it against Vancouver last year, needing 
you know, O'Shea Theodore to score in the third period of a nothing, nothing game. I mean, it's fresh in my memory. I don't know how it's not fresh in their memory. I mean, they're pro athletes are probably better at compartmentalizing or shoving it out, you know, getting it, getting it out of their brain and not letting it carry over into a new season or, you know, anything like that. But uh, I mean, I've always been the, it's just one game and try not to read too much into it person and all, but like, how do you not, I mean, how, how at this point do you not think that there's something more to it and that when the Knights get into a situation that they can eliminate a team that they either seem to grip the stick too tightly, don't play well, can't finish, uh, whatever it might be. I mean, look, I'm going to be really harsh here too. And I'm not going to blame Marc-Andre Fleury for this loss, but Marc-Andre Fleury is not good in these situations historically. He's now 14 and 21 in his career with a chance to, you know, in, in like potential series clinching games. And he's got another one coming up here on, you know, on Friday, if for some reason, you know, Pete DeBoer, unless he goes with Rob Leonard, which I don't know why he would. So there's just a lot of bad juju kind of floating around with all this. And then, you know, if you're the Knights and you can't score and, you know, you do you do everything that you did in game five and you throw a bunch of rubber at Talbot and it doesn't really do you a whole lot of good. It's a bunch of empty calories. Yeah, I don't know how you can, you know, couldn't think about it or have it, you know, messing with your head at this point. Yeah, I want to go back to the goalie discussion uh, in a second because you, you touched on a number of things there that I'm interested to dive into a little bit deeper. Uh, but I want to stay on uh, this game, game six, for a little bit more before we continue to kind of look ahead to game seven and what it might bring. Um, I want to talk specifically about kind of the clear pivot point, uh, which came in the third period of game six. Um, It was a super tight checking game in the first two periods. Um, Both teams are kind of playing pretty conservatively, just not looking to make a mistake. Then the wild end up going up uh, one, nothing because Shea Theodore tries to make a pinch in the neutral zone. Uh, Zach Parisi banks the puck. Uh, behind Theodore, and that springs a two-on-one with uh, Kevin Fiala and Ryan Hartman uh, because defenseman Alex Petrangelo had already pinched in the offensive zone. Uh, poor Cody Glass was left as the one-man back defending that two-on-one uh, with Fiala, who's one of the Minnesota's most dangerous players, and the results ended up being predictable. Um, Ryan Hartman puts it in the net. It's 1-0 wild. The home crowd is all jazzed up. Now, the Knights go back and seemingly tie it, on a goal from Chandler Stevenson with Alex Tuck and uh, Matt Thumba kind of jostling in front of Cam Talbot in the blue paints. Then the officials get together and they say no goal on the ice, which is critical uh, because it forced the Knights to use their challenge to say it should be a goal rather than what is kind of how these things typically play out, which is, you know, the goal um, is called on the ice and then a team has to challenge or goaltender and fears to take the call off the board. So um, the officials say no goal. Pete DePore decides we're going to challenge. We're going to say that there was no goaltender interference um, from Tuck on Talbot and that this goal should count. Now the officials end up upholding the call. The Wild get a power play because of the failed challenge from the Knights. Fiala scores. It's 2 nothing, and that's kind of all she wrote from there. Uh, now DeBoer and Mark Stone said after the game that they felt that Dumbo was kind of holding Tuck basically keeping him in the crease. And that's why they were contact with Talbot. DeBoer, you know, also said when asked, uh, Hey, what was the explanation that you received? Um, He said he was told that the call stood because 
Tuck made no effort to get out of the crease, essentially. Now, from the Wilds' perspective, on the other hand, we're basically like, hey, we're even now because, if you remember, they had a goal disallowed for goal inter- interference in Game 3 that would have put them up 3 nothing in that game. And then, ultimately, they only go up 2 nothing. The Knights rally back, they end up winning Game 3. So the Wilds' perspective was basically, hey, if you're going to call that one on us, you have to call that one tonight on them as well. Uh, Dave, from you know your perspective as uh, someone who's neutral and looking at this game from basically the bird's eye view up in the press box, how do you think the officials, you know, kind of handled this one? Because I mean, really, there's not, you know, there's no way around it. That call, whichever way it went, was going to swing the game in a dramatic way, no matter what. And I will give you credit because you basically said uh, and tweeted, and people can find the tweet uh, before the third period that. Hey, you know, it seems like the officials are going to make a call that one team's going to be happy about and one team will not be in this game and they'll decide the game. And, you know, it's, it's exactly what happened. Yeah, I was kind of close. Didn't nail it exactly, but I think I said a penalty. So, yeah, not bad, not bad. But, uh, I mean, I think you probably bring up the good point that <clears throat> despite what Mark Stone said and what Pete DeBoer said, it was pretty darn similar to the call in, I think it was game four, I think, because game three was an offside. You're right. Game three was offside. Game four was goaltender interference. Okay. So, I mean, it was pretty similar where Tuck's just basically planted and I mean, he's clearly like got a foot in the blue paint. If you think Felino was in the blue paint, you know, in game four, and inhibiting Flurry's ability to play his position, then, I mean, I guess you have to make the same call. I mean, to me, I think a little bit of difference, and I'm not, I'm not so much like coming out against the call. I think, I think the difference was it was pretty clear that Flurry was trying to get to a particular spot that Felina was occupying and preventing him from getting to that spot. Whereas in this case, Alex Tuck was just kind of standing there. And, and it wasn't that he was really making contact with Cam Talbot. And, and this is where, look, like the ambiguity and the frustration on my part when I read all these Twitter messages and people this and that, and everybody thinks they're an expert and everybody's got a hockey, hockey splain everything to me, apparently, because they're all officials, is that nobody seems to know what the flipping rule is. And nobody seems to have any sort of grasp on... Well, can he be in the blue paint? Can he not be in the blue paint? If you're automatic, you know, if your foot's in there, does it automatically make a goaltender interference? Or if there's no contact, does that take it away? Like nobody seems to know anything. So kind of with all of this, I guess, is like at some point the NHL would be really nice if they cleaned up the rule, clarified it, and maybe, you know, eliminated some of the confusion that everybody seems to have about this, you know, but uh, you know, again, yeah, like you said, it was a huge play. It was, it's a, it's a momentum turning play. And I guess like, you know, if you're Dean Evison, hey, turnabout's fair play, right? At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit onehourair.com. Always on time or you don't pay time. Terms and conditions may apply independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. Your time is valuable, so we've built a seven-minute, non-stop newscast that fits into your daily routine. 
I'm Jen Ah. 7 at 7 keeps you informed anytime, anywhere. Look for top stories, weather, sports and sports betting, business, lifestyle and entertainment. Get every bit of local news you need in 7 minutes. Watch 7 at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Streaming nonstop 24-7 from the Las Vegas Review Journal on your mobile or smart TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Yeah, which is basically what uh, yeah, wild coach Dean Evison said after the game uh, to tie a bow on this talking point, just the NHL's Official explanation was a video review determined that Vegas's Alex Tuck impaired Cam Talbot's ability to play his position in the crease uh, prior to Chandler Stevenson's goal. Um, as you said, like the thing that's was always so wonky about these goaltender interference challenges is just like the wording, like Cam Talbot's quote ability to play his position in the crease. Like, what does that mean? Like, what is constituting Cam Talbot playing his position? you know, in relation to, you know, the space in the goal crease and everything like that. Um, ultimately, I think, like you said, I, you know, I think the Wilds perspective certainly has some justification to it in terms of, hey, we're kind of even on these goal interference calls being taken off the board. And that's kind of what Mark Stone said after the game, too, of like, hey, they're even now. We just got to go out and play. And, you know, now it's in the past and the Knights have to look ahead to game seven, which what is what we will do now. And I will start by asking you a question that uh, you kind of have already dismissed, Dave, but I'll uh, ask it anyway, and I'll uh, give it a quick setup after I do. Um, do you consider a goaltending change if you're Pete DeBoer? Uh, goaltending was, of course, the Knights' number one strength in the regular season. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard shared the Jennings Trophy for allowing the fewest goals in the NHL. Um, Robin Leonard, who, of course... Uh, is worth $5 million against the cap this year, has not played a minute this series so far. That's been $5 million that's just sitting on the bench in addition to the $7 million in Max Pacioretty that hasn't played because of injury. Now, Marc-Andre Fleury was phenomenal early in this series. He allowed four goals on the first 116 shots he faced the first four games as the Knights built a 3-1 lead. That is a 966 save percentage, which is just out of this world ridiculous. Now, in the past two games, both wild wins, uh, Flurry has allowed six goals. Um, people, you know, doing the math will say that the Wild actually had seven goals in those two games, but one was an empty netter. Um, so Flurry has allowed six goals on 37 shots. So, been a dip. Now, I think uh, you kind of hinted at, like, even today, I think it's hard to... Uh, put uh, too many of these goals on him. I think you put some or assign him blame at different points for some of the goals the last two games, but I don't think he's been the primary culprit even tonight. If you want to lay some blame at his feet, uh, the offense, you know, ended up scoring no goals and it's very hard for a goaltender to win if his offense does that for him. Um, but Dave, do you think, uh, you know, this raises some questions for Pete DeBoer? ahead of Game 7 on Friday? Or do you think at this point, uh, six games into this series, that it's too late almost for them to make a goaltending change if 
they were even to consider one. I mean, I don't change. That's just me. Like, I mean, I don't, like you said, you laid out pretty well. I don't think the goaltending was the problem. I think if you were to change it, it sends a completely different message. It sends almost an image of maybe panic that, you know, you're going back home with a game seven and you need to change your goalie. You need to feel like, you know, you have to find a spark or something different. Like that just, that's alarm bells to me. That's a red flag. If you're doing that as a coach, if I'm in that locker room, like, you know, we're three, three, they lost, you know, essentially two or three, nothing. I mean, it's three, nothing on the scoreboard, but you know, the Bukestad goal is like what late breakaway when they're pushing, like, you know, it's whatever. I mean, it's basically a two goal game, you know? So, I mean, to me, it's the offense to me that the problem is they need to, you know, get a lead and hold it and, and play from ahead. They couldn't do that in game five. They got the lead and then just basically relaxed. Uh, two guys crashed into each other and, front of the net and gave the middle of the ice wide open for Zuccarello to uh, make a cross ice feed to Kaprizov and, you know, boom, then all of a sudden he's in the series. They get some momentum, you know, Parisi bangs one in from in tight, kind of a funny bounce. Jordan Greenway bangs one in from in tight third chance on his own rebound. So like some of these things are some guys in front of flurry. Some of these things are, you know, scoring issues and whatever. So to me, just because we're just talking about the goaltending, no, I, I, I don't change because as soon as you do, Minnesota's over there, you know, rubbing their hands together going, oh, we got them. We got them. Yeah, to your point about the starts, the Knights have scored the uh, first goal in this series only two out of six times. One of those times was game five where they, they immediately gave up three straight goals to the Wild. Their Knights uh, one nothing lead lasted less than a minute. Um, so if we're talking about, you know, not changing goaltenders, which I think is a very rational point of view, um, how much do you think the Knights have to change their game to kind of prevail in a game seven? And who are you potentially uh, looking to step up to go through some of the stats uh, in the series for guys? You wrote about this uh, heading into game six and it remained true tonight. Jay Theater has no points in this series so far. And as I mentioned, he was kind of at fault for a bad pinch on the go-ahead goal for the Wild tonight. Uh, Alex Petrangelo has two points. Uh, the Knights have tried playing the two of them together quite a bit in this series to generate offense, including on that goal I just talked about, and it largely hasn't worked. And then uh, no one outside of Mark Stone, who has five points, and Alex Tuck, who has four points, has more than three points in this series. So those are the only two guys, Mark Stone and Alex Tuck, we're basically scoring at more than a, you know, half a point per game case so far. Um, so, you know, what are you looking for the Knights to potentially change up in game seven, Dave? And who needs to be kind of at the forefront of them doing that if they want to advance? I don't know how harsh I want to be here with this answer. Um, I guess I'll be kind. I mean, I think the problem, like, what do you do if you change? Like where you're just all of a sudden going to like open it up and play wide open hockey without your leading goal score, um, without two other forwards that are regulars in your lineup, even though they're bottom six guys. Like, I'm not sure that's the best way to go about doing it. And then the catch 22 or the flip side is if you play like you did tonight, you're essentially 
trying to make it a, a one mistake game. I thought they were pretty good for two periods. Thought they did what they needed to do on the road. You know, they took the crowd out of it for the most part early. It it was kind of a sleepy first period. I thought in the second period, the the hit on um, White Cloud from Felino when he knocked the glass loose that got everybody going. Uh, and then obviously like the Dumba hit on Tuck and then the ensuing fight and Dumba waving his arms and, you know, doing all, all that good stuff. It seemed like it got a little energy into the building, but you know, it was still nothing, nothing. I mean, the Knights were right there. That's the type of road game you want to play. I mean, you just, you keep it close, low event hockey, don't give up a lot of chances. And then, you know, when you see your opportunity, you try to take it. I like, I, do you really want to go home and play a game seven where you're essentially like neutral zone trapping and sitting back and just trying to, you know, ride out a one, nothing or a two, nothing or a two, one game. Like, I don't feel like the Knights can do that. I, they're too nervy. Every time they get into these close games like this, they, you know, they, sorry, they poop the bed. Like they just, they're not a team that is comfortable playing you know, one, one, nothing, nothing. They seem pretty comfortable tonight. I'll give it to them. But for the most part, that's not the way that they like to play. And there's other teams that just will keep on grinding and keep on going. And they're totally content to just keep going one, one, nothing, nothing, whatever it might be. It's like a, like a soccer team or something. And the Knights are just not that way. So I don't know what the answer is. Like, yeah, they need to change something. Yeah. They need to quit throwing shots from the perimeter and, you know, just loading up the shot counter, but not actually testing Cam Talbot. I mean, I don't, you know, there was the play in the second period, William Carlson kind of jumped on a loose puck and flipped one up there. And it, it looked like it hit the crossbar. I, I think you couldn't tell if Talbot's shoulder maybe got a, got a piece of it, but like, I mean, how many like great saves did Talbot make? Like I struggle to think of any, I struggle to think of any of these made the last couple games to be, to be quite honest, maybe I'm missing something here. Um, I mean, probably in the 22 shot second period, there was, you know, a few good saves, but uh, you know, uh, it's hard because it's not like the Knights can just say, Oh, we're going to do this or we're going to put this guy in our lineup. They put Cody glass in there and he had a few good shifts and, you know, he looked all right at times, but you know, again, it's a 22 year old kid that struggled all year, you know, and everybody thinks it's just going to walk in and fix their power play or something like, come on, it's not, you know, that's just, that's just dreaming. So it's a really hard spot right now. If you're Pete DeBoer and he sort of mentioned it about the, the injuries and I don't think he was using it as an excuse, but you know, for a 40 win team that was humming along pretty good. All of a sudden to get a couple guys go out of the lineup. It just looks like it might completely derail everything that they had, uh, that they had played for uh, leading up to this. Yeah. We'll have to see if they get any of those guys back for game seven on Friday. You would have to imagine that the Knights will do everything in their power if possible to get some of those guys back. I uh, know maybe it won't be possible, but obviously they are now in uh, quite literally, you know, a do or die situation where this one game is going to decide the fate of their season and we should mention of course that uh whoever wins this game seven will move on to face the colorado avalanche who swept the st louis blues so the avalanche have just been kind of sitting on their couches watching eating popcorn cackling uh since uh sunday that's when they wrapped up uh their four game sweep 
of the St. Louis Blues. It was when we flew uh, back home originally after uh, game four of this series on Saturday. The Avalanche played the next night on Sunday and won. Uh, so whoever wins this series, you have to think they're going to face a pretty tough turnaround to get to Colorado because Colorado won the President's Trophy. They're going to be hosting uh, the first two games of the series. Uh, for game one, and you would assume, you know, based on the NHL's kind of been doing every other day, that series could maybe even start uh, on Sunday. It'll be interesting. The Knights and the Wild are actually going to be the first uh, game seven that we will see this postseason. Uh, there are still a couple other series going on in the NHL. Uh, Carolina is up three to two on Nashville, so that one could still go seven. Toronto is up three one. On Montreal, that one is looking a lot less likely that it'll go seven. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see. But, uh, you know, it'll certainly be interesting, Dave, because even if the Knights uh, do ultimately prevail, and if they do, we'll probably have another podcast for you guys later this week previewing the kind of titanic showdown between them and the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche. Um, even if, you know, this all ends up being a bump in the road for the Golden Knights, and they do end up beating Minnesota Wild and advancing. Uh, it is still going to take a lot of energy and a lot of effort for the fact that they're going to have to play basically three extra games to close this series, three tight games, three hard-fought games. And, uh, you know, that takes a bite out of, uh, you know, any team, no matter uh, how talented or how tough they are, when you have to play all this extra hockey in the postseason. Yeah, so we were talking about the goalies earlier, and I didn't say this, but, you know, short of Marc-Andre Fleury pitching a shutout, in game seven, if the Knights win, I actually wouldn't be surprised. And I might even like, if I was Pete DeBoer, seriously consider give Robin Leonard game one of the, the Colorado series. He did it, you know, in, in the bubble with Dallas coming off the Vancouver game when Robin Leonard shut them out in uh, game seven. Marc-Andre Fleury started game one against Stars. I mean, give him a break, you know, like try to change it up. You're going into Colorado in a game one, like tough situation. I could absolutely see... Robin Leonard going in there, you know, for, for that game. Otherwise, I mean, you know, like I'm just looking at this from the injury standpoint and let's, I, I mean, okay. One Max Pacioretty apparently is skating because Pete board decided to answer that question and then nothing else about it. So apparently he's skating on his own, which I guess lends you to believe that even though he hasn't played since May 1, if he's close enough to ready to go, that they can just drop him into the lineup. I don't know how effective he's going to be, you know, having not played that much, but I suppose it's conceivable. And then, you know, maybe he comes around for the Colorado series if they get there. I don't know. But, you know, who knows what's going on with him? Ryan Reese, it sounds like, has something going on because, like you said, Pete DeBoer apparently is going to update us tomorrow on it, which we never get updates when Pete DeBoer says he'll give us an update. So I don't know what's going on with that, but that can't be good. Braden McNabb is in COVID protocol, which if he tested positive and it's confirmed, then that takes him out for 14 days because he's got a quarantine for 10 he can get two and then he's got to spend another, you know, four days until he can go through, you know, the cardiac tests and, and get clearance. So he's out of the mix. Take him, you know, and just throw that, throw that right out. And then Tomas Nosek, we haven't seen Nosek since game two. He hasn't practiced. He hasn't taken a morning skate. He hasn't done anything. So uh, all of this, like, even if the Knights get past 
the wild in game seven, like they're going into the series with Colorado, like battered, bruised and shorthanded. So it's going to be a really, really, really tough task at a tall order, not only to get past Friday, but you know, to then get past Colorado, which I'm sure has to knock some of the ring rust off, but you know, probably would be able to do that pretty quickly. Yeah. We'll have to see if the Knights get that opportunity to take on Colorado first. They have to get past the Minnesota Wild because this series is going to seven games. And once again, game seven will be at 6 p.m. Friday at T-Mobile Arena. Uh, As I said, if the Knights do prevail, we'll probably come uh, back at you guys later this week with a preview podcast for that uh, potential Colorado series. If not, who knows? We might uh, end up hitting you guys with uh, another podcast that would have uh, a very different tone to it and a very different subject matter but we'll have to see uh for now hope everyone enjoys the build-up to game seven and uh, channels that nervous energy into uh, the most positive way that they can uh for now we'll sign off a quick reminder that we are sponsored by one hour air conditioning and heating we are also presented by blue wire podcast also please check out our written work at reviewjournal.com and today because you guys could rate review subscribe Whatever you do podcast, please do this one. It helps other people find us. I'm Ben Goats. That's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit onehourair.com. Always on time, or you don't pay. Terms and conditions may apply. Independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.